No passage of Scripture to me says Thanksgiving like Psalm 100, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me and read it out loud together, all right? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You can be seated. Thankfulness that is recognized only once a year is not true thankfulness. A daily spirit of gratitude is what God wants us to develop in each of our lives. John Maxwell wrote, he said, the instant we are born, we already owe someone nine months room and board, and we really never pay it back. Maxwell's comments remind us that we all carry a debt of gratitude for life in this world, and that we ought to be good at expressing that to God and to those around us. And just because we can't pay it back doesn't mean that we shouldn't be ever more grateful and ever more expressive with our thanksgiving. Did you notice when we went through that passage of Scripture, I know we just read it through quickly, and you probably didn't pick up on all of them, but did, did you look at the verbs in, in that particular passage? Shout, worship, come, know, enter, give, praise. And then notice how these verbs are described. These action words are, are given color. It is with joy that we shout, gladness that we worship, happy songs that we come. As the sheep know the voice of their shepherd, so we know the Lord. It is with thankfulness that we enter. It is with thankfulness that we give. It is with thankfulness that we praise. And then notice how God himself is described. He is God and he is good. He made us, he keeps us, and sustains us. He's deserving of our thanks and praise, and his love and his faithfulness are eternal. Now, if you're looking for a really good way to start off your Thanksgiving meal, this is it. You know, if you, if you try to stand around the table or you sit down to the table and nobody knows exactly what to say and, and nobody really offers up anything they're thankful for, then stand up and read Psalm 100 and remind everybody at the table how much we have to be thankful for. The opening verses of this psalm address our need to verbally express our thanksgiving. It's not enough to just feel it here. God wants to hear it. It needs to be proclaimed. We need to verbalize our gratitude. The poet wrote, blow, blow, thou winter wind, thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. When we sit down to a meal this week of turkey and dressing and all the trimmings, or however you celebrate the holiday, it's easy to be grateful. I mean, if you can't be genuinely thankful at a feast like that, then when can you be genuinely thankful? And if all of that doesn't make us grateful, then what's it going to take to make us grateful? And if we aren't grateful at something like that, then what kind of a person are we? 
a farmer in the city on business one day went to a little local restaurant and sat down, and when he was served his blue plate special lunch, he bowed his head and prayed, and a couple guys in a booth just across from where he was sitting started laughing, and when he finished his prayer, they said, hey, pops, where you come from, does everybody pray before they eat? And the farmer turned and smiled and said, everybody but the pigs. We are no better than pigs that eat without so much as a grunt of thanks when we receive God's blessings without acknowledging the source of those gifts. If there is an unfortunate description of our 21st century culture, it is that we have become a people who have traded gratitude for gratification. And not just gratification, instant gratification. When it doesn't happen readily, we're upset. You show me an ungrateful person, and I'll show you a miserable, lonely man or woman. Thanklessness is nothing new, but it is so painful. The Bible tells us that on an occasion, Jesus healed ten men who were plagued with with the death sentence of leprosy. They got a new lease on life. Only one out of the ten came back to say thank you to Jesus. On September the 8th, 1860, the Lady Elgin sank in the cold waters of Lake Michigan. A young ministerial student named Edward Spencer dove repeatedly into the icy, turbulent waters and rescued 18 people. He sustained injuries that left him in a wheelchair the rest of his life, and at his funeral, years later, it was noted that not one of the 18 people he had saved ever returned to say thank you. So let's take a cue from the psalm and make it our practice to verbalize our gratitude to the Lord, who is the one from whom all blessings flow, and to verbalize our gratitude to those around us who mean so much to each of us. I also want you to know this morning that the deepest gratitude grows out of the low spots or the valley moments in our life. Our picturesque Norman Rockwell celebrations of feast do not depict the natural history of our thanksgiving. And gratitude's often like prayer. When everything's going really, really well, we don't take time to pray, but when the bottom drops out of life, we stop to pray because after all, we really need God at that moment. And when everything is going really well, we forget how much we have to be thankful for. It is not until we lose something that we realize how much we have to give thanks to God for. Many of the greatest expressions of thanksgiving have occurred under circumstances so debilitating that one wonders why and how people can even respond with gratitude. Job. Job, he lost everything he had, family, farm, livestock, friends, even his health, and yet he responded with a heart of gratitude. He said, though he slay me, yet will I put my hope in him. Such enduring hope produces a thankful heart. The first Thanksgiving Day occurred in the autumn of 1621. You know that from your American history classes in school. Of the 102 pilgrims who journeyed to the New World, only 53 survived that first winter to celebrate a harvest that following autumn. Do you know that the pilgrims dug seven times as many graves for the dead as they built houses for the living 
Nearly 50 graves dotted the hillside as a reminder of their tragic losses. So it's no surprise when the first autumn rolled around and the first harvest came around, many of the pilgrims said, this should become a day of fasting and prayer. But the other pilgrims said, no. No, this is a day to celebrate because this is a great land. It's a land of abundance, and we have found our liberty here to worship God. No, this is a time to be thankful and celebrate. And they taught us. They left us a legacy of what genuine gratitude and thanksgiving is. They celebrated with the spirit of endurance, which produced great joy. From that humble start in Plymouth Colony in 1621, the custom grew somewhat sporadically in the other colonies, but it would be over 150 years before our nation would call for another day of prayer or day of thanksgiving. This time of the Continental Congress in the year 1777, it was following the, the victory at the Battle of Saratoga that there was called for a day of thanksgiving. And then 12 years after that, George Washington called for a day of thanksgiving to recognize the ratification of the Constitution, and he requested that Congress make it an annual event, but Congress declined to do so. It would be another hundred years before a president would do it again, this time in the midst of a bloody civil war. In 1863, President Lincoln proclaimed the last Thursday of November as Thanksgiving. It's amazing to me that it still took another 40 years before it ever really caught on. In some respects, the early church's gratitude was also born out of difficult times. Paul wrote the most positive, thankful letters while sitting in a prison cell in Rome. The church grew best in the turbulent waters of persecution, and they were thankful for every blessing of God. Perhaps that's why Thanksgiving was so real in the first century church, because you see, Anybody can give thanks when things are good. But when you can be thankful in the tough times, that tells an altogether different story. Martin Rinkert ministered in Germany in the 17th century, and he wrote this hymn that we often associate with thanksgiving. The words go like this. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices. Now you'd think such positive words would have been written in a joyful time of his life, but Martin Rinkert ministered in Germany during the Thirty Years' War between 1618 and 1648, and he witnessed untold pain and tragedy and death. History records that he was barely able to find bread and clothes for his children, that he mortgaged his future income just to survive, that in one year alone he buried 4,000 people from the community, including his family, and yet in the midst of that tragedy, he writes these words of thanksgiving. You see, thankfulness grows out of a relationship with God, not out of the circumstances of our lives. And many in this room have gone through tough times. And if you hadn't, I'm going to tell you that many in this room will go through tough times in the future. But I want you to know, God is still on the throne. All is well in our hearts. And thanksgiving is always the best attitude. No matter what comes, be thankful. Because the deepest thanksgiving grows out of our adversity. And if the valley experiences breed the deepest thanksgiving, then the richest thanksgiving come from genuine, joyful moments. 
If you handed me a dish of sand and said, there are, there are iron filings in the sand, we want you to pick those out, I could get a magnifying glass and I could start sorting through with my clumsy fingers trying to pick little tiny iron filings out of a bowl of sand and I might find one or two, I probably would find none and even if I could find them, I doubt I could pick them up. But if I took a magnet and swept through the sand, it would draw all those iron filings to it immediately, it would attract them completely. The unthankful heart, like my finger in the sand, finds little, if anything, to celebrate, but the thankful heart sweeps through the day, and as a magnet finds the iron filing, so it will find every moment in every day God's blessings for which we ought to be thankful. So I'm telling you this morning, let your thankfulness be magnetic. Enter with thanksgiving. Give thanks. Praise His name as the psalmist declares. Don't you like being around people who are upbeat and positive and who always find things for which to be thankful? Aren't they the most fun to be around? You see, that's what Jesus does in our life. I, I really believe he changes our perspective so that we aren't overshadowed by the bad. We're just focused on what he can do that's so good. I'm convinced that Zacchaeus had to be one of the most miserable men on the face of the earth. He earned his living by working for the Roman government. He was assumed to be, at best, a cheat in his community and probably thought more an outright thief. He was so hated by the people of his community that on the day that Jesus came to Jericho to visit, they elbowed him out, wouldn't even let him see until he climbed up a tree so he could get a glimpse of the Savior. And then when Jesus came along, he stopped at the tree and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus. <laughs> you, you come down because I'm, I'm going to have lunch at your house today. Oh my goodness, Zacchaeus was so excited when Jesus came to his house. It just, it just changed his life. Suddenly now it didn't matter what he had. It, it, it only mattered who he had. It wasn't about getting the benefit from other people. It was now suddenly about being a blessing to other people. And Zacchaeus said to the Lord, he said, Lord, if I've hurt anybody, I will give back everything that I've taken and then some. And Jesus said, salvation has come today. Zacchaeus was a little man who just exploded with a big heart and big thanksgiving because, you see, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Steve Brown wrote, he said, the most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what he or she wanted. The most unhappy person is the one who got what he or she wanted and then found out that it wasn't as wonderful as they expected. The secret of a happy life is not to get what you want, but to live with what you've got and give God thanks for it. The unthankful person sees difficulty in every opportunity. The thankful person sees opportunity in every difficulty. And if you know Jesus Christ, then you know every opportunity is a reason for thanksgiving. I don't know who penned these words first, but I really like them. The optimist says the cup is half full, the pessimist says the cup is half empty. The child of God says, my cup runneth over. That's thanksgiving.